I'm going to start this morning. I want to tell you about one of my favorite pastors. Well, I don't know him really as a pastor. I know him more as a speaker. His name is Joe Novenson, and he's a popular pastor. You might have heard of him. He's at Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church up in Lookout Mountain. And one of the things that he says, and I've heard him say it repeatedly, is that pastors need to be the chief repenters in their church. And as I thought about that this week, I thought, man, I am glad that I'm just an assistant pastor. <laughs> but in our text this morning, we're going we're gonna to read about uh, a chief repenter. And it's not just pastors who need to be repenters, it's all Christians. That's who we're to, we are to be, is repenters. And we're going to see how in this story, uh, the, this chief repenter, how he and his message are vital and crucial to the entire biblical story. Like without him, Jesus doesn't come. He's the forerunner to Jesus. And he's going to prepare the way, and he does that by offering what all of us long for, forgiveness and love and salvation and life and healing in this broken world. So let's hear now from um, our video, uh, Mark 1. The scripture reading for today is taken from Mark chapter 1 verses 4 to 8. Verse 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask him to bless the preaching of it. Please pray with me. Father, Son, and Spirit, we come to you now, and Lord, we ask your blessing on our time. We thank you for your word, how you have given it to us, how you have sought us out through it, and you have given it to us so that we might know uh, just how incredible and overwhelming and beautiful and powerful the gospel is. So, Lord, I pray that we would see that this morning. I pray that it would move our hearts and change our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I don't know if you know this, but on November 22nd, the young adult ministry got a mascot. Hannah and Mitchell Brannon had a daughter named Courtney. And uh, some of the other young adults designated her as the mascot of the young adult ministry. So I need to like get written permission probably from Hannah and Mitchell, but we're saying that's our mascot. And 
was interesting is the young adults, we would have dinner on the back field behind the church once a month, you know, in a big circle, separated, you know, six feet and everything. We would have dinner. And so it was really neat to see how their story of, of their baby came about. And it was, I still remember where I was sitting when they kind of made the announcement, hey, we're pregnant and we're expecting in November. And it was so exciting. And it was awesome. And then they would come back each month, you know, and, and give us to the update and say, okay, you know, this week or this month, you know, she's like the size of a grapefruit or this week she's the size of a cucumber. You know, it was always food, which was funny. Um, but she was growing, you know, and the time got closer and everybody's waiting and everybody has this anticipation and preparation for Courtney coming. And as I thought about Hannah and Mitchell and the exciting news of, of Courtney, I thought about Advent and thought about how we're celebrating Jesus coming into the world, Jesus being born, and kind of his pregnancy story. Because his announcement was a long time before he actually came. His announcement was back in Genesis 3.15 when God announces that there is going to be a descendant who is going to crush Satan, a descendant of man who will crush Satan. And the biblical story is all about this descendant who has been promised and will be the savior. He will be the Messiah. And so as you read Genesis, you know, it's like the first trimester but you read Genesis and you get kind of nauseous at some of the stories because they're terrible. It's like, kind of feel like this, like that pregnancy. But then you get to Exodus and Deuteronomy and, you know, the Israelites are actually a nation now and they're making it to the promised land and you're kind of excited. And, you know, that's like the second trimester when, you know, you're growing and you're feeling a little bit better. Uh, so I'm told. Uh, but then you get to judges and kings and some of those, and you're like, oh, this is horrible. Like, these stories I can't handle. And I thought about, that's got to be the morning sickness, you know? Like, that's got to be the gross, like, I feel awful, um, you know, nauseous all the time. And then you think about the wisdom books and like how do we live in a, in a wise way where we're going to have the fullest of life. And I thought that's the period where you're like reading the books of a thousand and one names for your baby boy or how to get your kid to sleep through the night week one. <laughs> Please. <laughs> and then you get to the prophets, right? And the prophets are... Uh, giving these big messages of repentance. And they're giving these big promises of someone who's coming. They give these big promises to the future. They give these promises, but you have to wait. And I thought that's got to be the third trimester where you're, kinda, you're pretty uncomfortable, you know, and it doesn't feel good and you feel weird. And then you're wanting the baby to come and then you have the contractions and it's like, oh my gosh, it's all coming together. And as I think about Advent, think about the birth of Jesus, you think about how um, the Old Testament has made lots of promises. 
And if you look at Isaiah 40 and Malachi 3, there are going to be two promises about somebody, not Jesus. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then Malachi 3 verse 1 says, God says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me. He will prepare the way for me. Now, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all identify this Isaiah 40 person as John the Baptist, as John, the, the one from our passage today. All four of them are saying, that's who this is. That's the fulfillment of this promise. It's John the Baptist. And he's the forerunner, and he has to come so that Jesus can come. And, you know, just as, you know, when, when you have your water broken, like, you know the baby's coming. When John the Baptist comes, you know the Messiah's coming, right? Okay, I'm not going any further with this pregnancy thing, okay? So you can all just relax. The analogy's over. <laughs> uh, but John the Baptist was to prepare the way. He was to prepare the way. And you might say, prepare the way for what? And what you see here in Mark 1 earlier in verse 1, it says the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus. And how he is the Messiah. And he's the one who is promised. And he's the one who is now the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. One commentator said, John the Baptist is a crucial figure in the history of revelation and redemption. His appearance in the wilderness was the most important event in the life of Israel for more than 300 years. He's kind of a big deal. Right? John the Baptist is this link from the Old Testament to the New Testament and to uh, the Savior, the coming one. He's this person who fulfills the promises and sets the way so that Jesus might come. And now you see in verse 4 how it, where he's coming from. You see John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You see he's from the wilderness and he's coming along, he's proclaiming and he's preaching and he's saying, you need to repent, you need to be forgiven of your sins. And how is his message received? We see in verse 5, it says, In the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were coming out to him, and they were being baptized by him. They were confessing their sins together. I mean, they're all coming. Like, this is a huge group of people, and they're coming. And what are they saying? They're saying, we want rescue. We want to be saved. We want to confess and be forgiven. We want life. And that's what they're doing. And it's this incredible, awesome time. And it's through this guy who, you know, is dressed weird, you know, verse 6, clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And then he eats locusts and wild honey. That just sounds gross. But the reason that they describe his, his clothing and the way he eats and stuff is to link it back to the Old Testament again. 
And there's a big link to Elijah. Okay, Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament who had a strong message of repentance, of you need to repent over and over. And so that was uh, his big message. And a lot of times people are saying John the Baptist is almost like Elijah 2.0, preaching repent, repent, repent. And also even his, uh, his wardrobe is similar to, to Elijah. And so he's saying, look, you got to repent. You need to repent for the forgiveness of sins. You need to repent and follow the God who uses you and me. The God who uses people to fulfill his promises. And there's this, well, let me say, uh, there's this sense of urgency in John's preaching. I don't know if you noticed that. You see it in verse 4. It's all about a baptism for repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, we talk about repent a lot, and we talk about, oh, you know, in the Greek, it means turn around, change. And like, yeah, it does. But one commentator pointed out, and um, it's in French. In French, they have this word used here, which means to turn around, but it also means to be sorry again. So it's not just, oh, I'm going to turn around and do this. It's, I'm going to be sorry about it as I turn around and do it. And to me, that, that fulfills more of what the word means. You know, we're being sorry for what we did, and we're turning around from it, knowing that we need forgiveness, I mean, another writer says, within, one must change one's mind and heart about what is important and then change one's outward life accordingly. And so we repent to God and we repent to others. Okay? Repent to God, again, it's, it's having sorrow and realizing I have betrayed the creator of the universe. Not just, I broke a rule. I have betrayed the creator of the universe who made me. And so what you think is, I'm so so sorry about that. And I want to change. And I need to be forgiven. And I also want to pledge my allegiance to follow him again. See, you see, it's not just, oh, turn around. There's much more to it than that. Well, we need to repent to others, too. And repentance is not, it's not like denying your sin or pretending it didn't happen or uh, explaining it away or justifying it or blame shifting it or saying, well, I was right 40%. You were only right 60%, you know. It's not that kind of thing where it's like, oh, I'm going to repent because it's my duty. I'm going to say I'm sorry and then I'll be done. No, it's so much more than that. And you see in verse 5 how, like, they're confessing their sins. Confessing their sins. Like, they're open. They are openly admitting what they've done wrong. I mean, can you imagine everybody takes a turn up here openly admitting what you did wrong this week? Like, that's, 
that would be pretty scary. But that's what they're doing here. They're openly admitting, confessing their sins together. And one of the things that I feel like I'm personally learning about repentance, I need to learn this, is there's a difference between when I, when I sin against another person, there's a difference between just saying I'm sorry and being sorry about it. But then there's a, this other aspect to it where you need to help repair the relationship. So, you know, I can come by your house and throw a brick in the window and the next day come and say, I'm really sorry. That was really bad of me. I shouldn't have done that. And like, I might feel sorry. But somebody's got to pick up the glass and somebody's got to clean it up and somebody's got to buy a new window and somebody's got to put it in. And then the next time that I drive by your house, you're going to like be out front trying to block all the bricks, right? Like there's this other aspect to, to repentance. It's where we're restoring the relationship. We're repairing the relationship. And that's just something that I feel like I'm learning as I'm this many days old, starting to understand that about repentance. And sometimes that is a process. It takes a while. And sometimes that can happen in an instant. But that's another part of repentance. Verse 4, you see how there's a forgiveness of sins, and it's by what? It's by baptism. By baptism. And baptism is this kind of drowning and cleansing act. It's this all at once uh, saying, I'm going to be washed clean. I'm going to be cleansed. I'm going to be um, cleansed of the pollution that I have, cleansed of the shame that I have, and washed clean. And we know that can only happen by the blood of Jesus. But we can't get, our, can't get ahead of ourselves too far. And so they're publicly repenting. And what's interesting and I think awesome is that God gives us this sign and the seal of baptism. He says, look, I'm going to show you. You're going to be baptized. And it's going to be done with water. And it's a sign so that you and I can see. It's like a visual representation of you are actually being washed you're actually being cleansed of your sin. You're being forgiven. You're being forgiven of your sins. And John the Baptist says, I'm going to do this with water, but the one who's coming is going to do it by the Holy Spirit. And so confessing and putting our faith unites us to this Savior. It unites us to this Messiah and the Spirit is then on us, in us. And the Spirit is always working in us. It's always working to produce fruit in you. It's always working on your character formation. It's always working to make you more like the Savior. Now, think about, okay, fruit of the Spirit, you know. Fruit of the Spirit, why, why would a tree come up and create apples? Is it for the tree itself? No. 
The apples are for other people, for people to come and pick and take. And so you see, the Spirit is also going to work in you so that you might have fruit in other people's lives. Ways to serve them and love them, to help them, to repair relationships. The Spirit does that. He's continually producing fruit so that we might forgive each other and repent to each other. And the Spirit is given to us to help us navigate the difficult and hard waters of this broken and painful world. And the Spirit is given to you to show you that you are not alone. He is always with you. He is always with you. So John the Baptist is this forerunner. We've said that before. He's this forerunner to Genesis 3.15, pregnancy promise, and it's now fulfilled, and it's saying the Savior is here. And Jimmy talked about last week how the Romans took their leader, Augustus, and they just declared that he was divine. Like, we're just going to say it, and I'll say it together. He's divine. We're going to declare it. But that's not who Jesus is. We don't just declare it. He proves it. He proves it by being born of a pure woman. A pure woman is his mom. And that's the fulfillment of so many Old Testament promises. And it's the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. And so he's not declared divine. He's proven to be divine. And what's interesting as well is how in verse 7, what, um, what John says, he says, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. So first he's saying he's going to wear sandals. Okay? So we can affirm his humanity. But I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And you have to understand, in, the, in this culture, in this community, you do not untie someone else's sandals. That's maybe for the lowest of the low servants. I mean, it's so gross to them, it's like, well, you might as well just like lick the bottom of his sandal. It's that gross. It's disgusting. No one does that. You do not do that. And yet, God's messenger is saying, I'm not even worthy to do that. That's how incredible he is. That's how divine he is. I mean, there's no other way that he can show the Savior's dignity or honor or glory or how divine he really is. And so, he, so he's showing them, look, he's divine and human. And it's not just a declaration. It's proving. It's proving. And the Israelites were looking forward to this coming one. They were looking forward to this Savior. And, you know, we've already talked about it, but we look back at him, his first coming, and we celebrate that. And how we also 
long for him to come again, just like the Israelites. We long for him to come. And we long for him to come so that we can be forgiven of our sins. How there's going to be no more sins and we won't have to repent to each other or to God. Right? Our faith will become sight. We want him to come again so that everything can be made perfect again in the world. And you might say, okay, like, so what? What are we going to do now? What are you trying to tell me, David? Well, I want you to think about, here's what I want you to do. I think we need to be, like Joe Novenson said, a group of repenters. A group of repenters. Because we're not perfect, let's be honest. We're not perfect. But we're people who repent. Repent to God for forgiveness. Repent to each other for relationship who rely on the Spirit, and who follow Jesus. And I've asked this before, but is in town known as a group of repenters? You know, if someone on the outside looked in, would they say that about us? Or would they say, no, they're just really critical and snobby about theology? Or are they just people who are insular and only care about each other? Are they people who just pretend that they don't do bad things? Like what, how amazing would it be if we were a culture, if we were a church that was known as repenters, right? We could repent to Jesus, openly admitting what we've done. Because let's be honest, he already knows. It's not like you're surprising him, right? We openly admit, admit it to him and have sorrow over it. We openly admit the things we've done wrong. And we can openly admit, I don't want to admit right now. Like, God, I'm sorry that I'm not sorry. Can you help me? I've prayed that prayer many times. (laughs) And through the Spirit, you're connected with the Savior. And so that kills shame. It kills contempt. It kills insecurities. It kills the pollution in you. And it's through the Spirit that you're connected to God and to Jesus, and they're saying, I forgive you. I love you. I see you. And I see your hurt. And I see your pain. And it makes me sad, too. And it's almost like the Spirit saying, I want you to understand that the dark kind of brush strokes are making a bigger picture that's going to be beautiful and amazing. But I'm going to be with you in those dark brush strokes. Another thing that we do is we repent to others. When was the last time you repented to somebody? Repented to a friend, repented to a family member, a colleague, co-worker. I have a five-year-old. It's weird to repent to her sometimes. (laughs) But we do because that's openly admitting, like, look, I was angry at you, and I I shouldn't have said that, five-year-old, you know. It's us repenting to each other and 
admitting how we hurt each other and how we say hurtful things to each other. And it's not in a defensive way, but it's in a way that's trying to restore relationships. And we are empowered through the Holy Spirit to have that. We're empowered to the, through the Holy Spirit to find that peace and the patience and the comfort to do that. We're empowered by the Spirit to bring that love and joy and goodness and kindness. And let me just point out one thing. Kindness to other people, but also kindness to yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but I struggle sometimes with showing kindness to myself. And I think, okay, yeah, Jesus forgives me, but I can't forgive me. Like, that's so arrogant. And so I want to say, like, we, if we're going to show kindness to other people, we have to show kindness to ourselves, too, because if Jesus forgives us of our sins, we can forgive ourselves of our sins. And the Holy Spirit works to do that. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing to have that kind of culture in our church where that's happening and there's this constant repentance and repairing of relationships and the Spirit is just at work all the time, you know? It's like Scrooge McDuck swimming in his money bin, you know, like like all over. And I'll just finish with this, um, with the best commentary of the Bible. I will argue that. The Jesus Storybook Bible talks about John the Baptist. It's on the front of your worship guide, and it says this. God sent John the Baptist to tell his people something. You need to be rescued. I have good news. The rescuer is coming. Make your hearts ready for him. Yes, get ready because your king is coming back for you. And great crowds listen to John. They were sorry they had sinned, and they wanted to stop running from God. They wanted to be rescued, so John baptized them. Look, the birth of the gospel causes us to repent. The birth of the gospel helps us to find repentance. It helps us to find forgiveness, which is symbolized in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It causes us to live empowered by the Holy Spirit, to live that way, believing in the gospel of Jesus and gratefully following him because of who he is. And like Hannah and Mitchell are celebrating over baby Courtney, we are celebrating over Jesus. We are also celebrating over our Savior who came for the forgiveness of sins and who will come back again one day, someday and make everything right and perfect. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that um, your spirit has been at work um, through your servant's words. Lord, you know I need this just as much more than anyone else, but I pray that you would help us to be a group of repenters, a, a group of people who believe the gospel and understand our forgiveness and who are empowered by our Holy Spirit to grow fruit, to bring your kingdom into this world. Lord, thank you for 
your word. Thank you for the connections that we have through the whole biblical story, and we can see parts of, parts of it. We trust you that there are much bigger and more beautiful parts as well. And so would you encourage us now? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.